And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, a new episode of Wizards After Dark. And let's just get right to it. I'm sitting here. I got a new microphone now. We're like good to go. The Athletic hooked me up with a nice new fancy microphone. I don't have my my one that I've been using for every single other podcast that I've recorded. And and now to break in the new microphone, I have my former colleague and uh, I'll just say many times guest on the podcast from the Washington Post. The the man who uh, who is a Wizards Wizards reporting legend. I'll say Michael Lee. <laughs> Uh, thanks for the intro. Uh, I don't know. I think legend is is, is thrown around. All right, uh, a, a person, these days. a person who has experience covering the Wizards. Yeah, that, that? that's 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 fair. That's fair. <laughs> I can't complain about that. Uh, so I, I I wanted to have you on at some point this week just because I had you on right after the John Wall trade, and uh, I tweeted out that podcast again on Monday. Right before the game, the day, or I should say the morning of, of the Wizards Rockets game before it happened. And I tweeted that out. I just, I thought your insight was so good and, and, uh, and nuanced on that podcast. And I feel like, you know, John pretty much as well as any other reporter out there. You certainly have a ton of experience covering him. Uh, and I just thought it'd be nice to have a, a little conversation about Monday night. Now that it's over, we're recording this thing on Tuesday and, uh, it's going to be up for Wednesday morning, and 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 I just thought it would be nice to have a, a talk about Monday night. I don't know. I thought it was weird, to be honest. Like, not in a bad way, just with no fans. It just kind of, it kind of felt. Even though I knew there would be no fans, and I knew it would have that feeling of not being a special without fans, and everybody knew that. It actually felt even less special than I anticipated. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, there's a lot of sadness that have come in this era of COVID. You know, so it's kind of. It feels kind of cheap to worry about how it affected a game, right? <laughs> Considering all that's been lost. But, you know, since we are talking about basketball and talking about this season, I think it's it's fair to look at just, um, you know, what was missing from that uh, homecoming. You know, like a lot of times you see guys go back to their former team and it's emotional and it's, you know, fun and it's whatever. Sometimes it's nasty, you know. Um, but I think for John... Um, at this stage in his life, he could have used what DC could have given him in a, re, in, a in a comeback game. He could have used um, the been fueled by twenty thousand people cheering him, applauding him, uh, embracing him. Um, because you think about all the loss that he'd experienced over the last two years, you know, and the recent loss of his grandmother, losing his mother. And being rejected by the one franchise that he played for for 10 years or, you know, represented for 10 years. And, you know, there's still a lot that he sort of had to deal with. You know, um, I can't imagine, um, you know, coming back to that place 
<clears throat> being in that building, being in, in a place where you know everything, every nook, cranny, all the secret hideaways and getaways, and um, and you're in this place, and you have to look over and see a team that that said that they don't want you anymore. Um, if he had been able to go back into that arena and look up and just seeing that crowd that that just showered him with affection after, um, you know, that shot against the Celtics or any other moment you could think of in his, in his time with the Wizards, I think that would have been good for him and it been good for his psyche because I can only imagine how difficult the last couple of years have been. Um, and even though he's been playing well in Houston, even though he's known to have a chip on his shoulder and, you know, use whatever slight as motivation – and he's been looking pretty good, you know, coming back off that injury. Um, I think if anybody could have used a pick-me-up, um, it could have been John in that moment, but he he wasn't able to get one. He was just in an empty gym trying to prove to the team that traded him they made a mistake, but no one was there to see it. <laughs> he was on one from the very beginning. Like, Absolutely. From, from the very, I mean, look, part of it was that Houston just had nobody. Yeah, they're they're missing Christian Wood, four of their best. Yeah, four of their five best guys. PJ Tucker, they just they had nobody, and 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 he needed Eric Gordon. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, he needed to carry everything offensively. They just had nothing, and you could tell. I mean, he got to the line eight times in the first quarter, and I think he took eight shots. Also, he had fifteen points in the first, and he was just. You could tell, though, independent of the fact that they didn't have anybody, like he wanted to score. He wanted all that. He was going right at the rim. And, you know, when he would talk about how he was going to be better than ever when he came back, and he's been very good. Mm-hmm. But but I don't think he's been good in the way that he thought he was going to be good. Because when he would talk about how he it was going to be better than ever, Part of the reason why he'd say he was going to be better than ever was because he said he was going to be getting to the line at career high rates. That was his anticipation because hmm. he thought the last time that I was held, and, and I know this because he, he told me, uh, yeah. this is not me, you know, analyzing it. Uh, this is just what he told me. So he, he would say, uh, that the last time he was healthy it was like 16, 17, and when he was really, really spry and, you know, the really athletic, explosive John Wall that we all remember, you know, he a lot of those years he's playing with Nene and Gortat, Gortat or he's yeah. playing with Gortat and Markeith Morris and, and Keith would step out and shoot a three, but he's going to be in the post. He's going to be in the mid range. He's going to be inside the three point line. He's not especially not in 2016. He's not like a full-on stretch four, you know? Yeah. That's just not what he is. So John said he basically played with two conventional bigs the whole time. Now, on top of the fact that he's playing with two conventional bigs, he strongly, strongly believes that the game is officiated very differently now than it was three or four or five years ago. And I think even more than the average person believes that. Uh, He's used so many guys as examples of that i don't want to throw anybody under the bus but he (laughs) he has used so many guys as examples of that of guys that he says you know what i'm going to be able to get to the line and you look at his free throw numbers this year his free throw rate is actually below his career average i think he's still feeling that kind of stuff out and feeling out how to get to the line but i think he understands the importance of getting to the line in terms of how it affects his efficiency 
I do believe his jump shot is probably a little bit better. He's shooting more threes oh, yeah, than ever, is. and he's he's making more of them. And you know, the coaches who worked with him over his rehab said that his jump shot was looking better by the end of it. So I do believe that it's a little bit better. If he is able to pull off what he was saying and get to the line, his career free throw rate is about 34%, which means he takes about one free throw for every field goal attempt that he takes. Uh, this year, he's at like in the high 20s. If he can get in the 35 to 40 range and be at that, all of a sudden, you know, John's never been a wildly efficient guy. He's always been about league average. But now you're talking about a guy who's an efficient scorer and a passer. Uh, and and that's kind of how you get to him being a real guy, like a real threat and really getting to be an all-star again, if that's really what his goal is. And I think we saw some of that early in the game with the way that he was attacking. Granted, this is the Wizards. I mean, it's that defense. <laughs> but I think we saw some of that early in the game with the way he was attacking and the way he was moving and the way he was getting to the paint, the way he was exploding by guys and taking advantage of just, you know, a weak defense that wasn't helping. Um, and and I keep kind of waiting for that to happen because that was what he talked about when he said he was going to be better than ever. When you asked him to break down why, he talked about the free throws. That was the first thing he'd bring up. So I, I keep waiting for him to try to implement that more, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm waiting to see, you know, Houston, you know, at full strength. You know, I think they have a lot of talent. You know, we mentioned the the, the guys who weren't on the court. Um, they'll make the game easier for them, I think. Um, and, uh, and, you know, honestly, not having Harden there, it sort of puts him back in familiar territory as being the man in his, in his mind, at least, you know. Um, and I think that that's a role that he always embraced and it's a role that means something to him. You know, I think that when James was there, um, there was a desire in some respect to sort of defer to him because he was the more established star, um, you know, more accomplished star, maybe not established, more accomplished. And so he wanted to kind of learn from him and play off of him. And James just wasn't having it because he didn't want to be there. Um, but I think that, you know, I mentioned him, John being rejected. He was rejected by James Harden this year, too, you know. <laughs> um, and I think that there's, there's always going to be something that's going to be pushing him and driving him. And if they can get all their pieces together, you know, they could be a pretty – I think they could be a playoff team, um, especially if Oladipo's healthy and, and Eric Gordon's really wildly underrated, in my opinion, uh, for what he can do. Um, but I, I think that they could be a fun team. And you look at the way Wizards fans seem to be just mourning in John's absence, you know, because uh, I don't think anybody expected him coming off of that injury, knowing how he plays, um, for him to be playing at this level and to be exploding toward the rim and finishing with dunks. Um, you know, it's, it's weird because, you know, we've sort of seen Wall and Durant just – you know, crush all doubts about what you can do coming off an Achilles injury. And they both have been great, you know, but KD plays such a totally different game. You know, John's game is athleticism, it's speed, it's quickness, it's all of that stuff that, you know, you usually lose when you turn 30. Um, but, you know, he's not as fast. He's not as fast as he was when he was in 19, 22 or whatever. But he's still can get up the floor he can still burn rubber when he gets going and he can he can get to the rim and he can block shots and he can do all those things that 
um, I think there was some concern about if he'd be able to do. And I think that's been the most encouraging thing that I've seen from him is that um, you can tell that he did put in some work, you know, in his time away. And um, he's got enough stuff on his list of motivators to, to keep him going and keep him charged up probably from here until his career ends. Well, John, John will always have people on the list. Like that's, you've seen, you've seen Billy Madison, right? Mm-hmm. I just imagine John is Steve Buscemi in that movie at this point, <laughs> sitting there crossing people off with the lipstick, just yeah. ready, ready to take them all ready. To, all right. James Harden left me. That's it. I'm going for 40 every time against Harden. Wizards traded me. That's it. I'm, I got to beat him every single time for the rest of my career. I mean, I think I, I just that's that's where I feel like John's at. I feel like he's. He's just like searching for all. Of, he's got so, so many chips on his shoulder in so many different ways, you know? Yeah, yeah. And they, they keep piling up, you know? Um, you know, the, the weird thing, too, is that um, I know that they're close and I know that they're friends. and um, But it's got to be a little jarring in some respects because I think he was looking forward to playing with Brad. But to see Brad be the leading scorer and not only be the leading scorer, but the leading vote getter among Eastern Conference guards, that's gotta be like, whoa. <laughs> like like the minute I'm gone, like he really is blowing up. <laughs> I mean the team isn't any good, but you know, Brad is really getting his shine this year and people are starting to take note of just how good he is. Um and that's sort of what the Wizards were shooting for anyway. You know, they they knew that um by trading John that they were going all in and committing to Brad and giving him this platform to sort of just really showcase just how much of an elite scorer he is and he's doing it. And so um, it, if John had been here and Brad was doing the same thing, I think he would probably take some credit and feel like he was responsible for that in some ways. And maybe, you know, he was there in terms of building that foundation that, you know, Brad is, you know, kind of, you know, uh, working off of, but he's not there. And Brad is just showing that the work that he's put in is paying off for him. And there's nobody else that he's dependent on um, to be successful. Um, And I think that that's something that Brad wanted, too. He didn't want to have to be linked to John and have John get the credit. And um, so, yeah, uh, it's it's just crazy that uh, so much has changed so quickly for John. And um, until Houston gets all their pieces and they're, they're not and they start winning games i don't think people really give him the attention and appreciation that he entitled to in my opinion so i i have a question for you and i ask it because i don't know i don't i don't know the answer i really don't um the wizards make that trade they trade wall for westbrook they know that wall is a is a fan favorite and is is beloved by you know, by the city and by the fan base. They know all that. Yep. And and they make the trade because they think it's a good basketball trade. I've said it on this podcast a million times. That is the that is the foremost reason they made that trade. Because they thought it was a good basketball trade. That's that really is, I believe, to be the number one reason why this trade happened. Uh that being said, do you do you think that that they envisioned a you know, maybe if they envisioned because you do you do modeling when you talk about a decision like this, right? I mean, you 
you at least run out different scenarios. Okay, what's our best case scenario on this? What's our worst case scenario? What's our most likely scenario? And that helps you through your thought process, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think they envisioned a scenario in which the fan reaction was going to still be this passionate three months after actually you know, pulling the trigger on the deal? No, but I think they also didn't expect John to be as ready to go as he was. You know, um, I think that a lot of the, the trade motivation behind the trade was to get somebody who could come in, be healthy and compete, you know, and play alongside Brad right away. You know, because I think that coming off that injury, there isn't a long history of players who've been able to perform at their previous levels um, coming off of an Achilles. And so no matter how well John may have looked in workouts or, you know, individual or even five on five drills, game action is going to be something different. And knowing how everything is hinged on Brad's future and the fact that they couldn't be patient with it because they got to get it done to keep Brad and keep Brad committed. Although it sounds like he doesn't really care (laughs) about how how the season's going in terms of him staying, wanting to stay. But I think if they they didn't want to risk having a really slow start with John at the helm, um, knowing that it could have created some sort of tension between the two of them, and it could have um, led to some level of resentment. And so I think you if if if, if it failed. And so I think that by separating the two of them, sort of putting everything on Brad and helping him understand, um, you know, the responsibilities that he he's requested you know, that he wants by being the man, by being the focal point and being the guy that's asked to carry the franchise, you know, going forward. Um, those pressures are on him now without John waiting in the shadows or anybody else around. And so he's he's realizing the weight of the crown and how heavy that is. Um, and I think they just wanted to give him this opportunity. And so, you know, as it relates to John, um, he's figuring out a lot of things too, you know, in a new place, and and um, and just it's. I think it's good for both of them. They get to discover this, but I think it would have been cool if if they had been able to do this together, um, and just just to see what happens. Maybe John increases his trade value. Maybe they don't have to tack on another a pick to get him. <laughs> Need to get to move him, you know. Maybe some some team just says, you know what, we just want to take him because he's a good player and we want to have him. Um, but it's tough to in say in hindsight that you shouldn't do one thing. But the only reason why I felt like they could have been patient with the move is just because, um, even in John's mind, everything the last two years was about coming back and playing for the Wizards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once those, once the the talks got out, I think it was just too complicated with John. Like the from the personality standpoint, I think it was too complicated. And yeah, I mean, you're right to a degree. It's a risk too. I mean, look, John comes back, he gets hurt in game three, and all of a sudden now things are even worse. You know, I mean, I yeah. think right now we're kind of seeing a best case scenario for John. John has come back and he's looked really good. Part of the reason why. I haven't declared, oh, the Wizards lost the trade is because, number one, 
I mean, it's not really part of my personality. They're they're both on three year deals. It's yeah. not really in line with my personality to be like, oh, we're we're twenty five games in, <laughs> and and Wallace outplayed Westbrook through twenty five games, and Westbrook sitting for back to back. So I guess the Wizards lost the trade. I mean, that's it's not really yeah, and, and my I, thing. I think, but Mike yeah. also also the other reason is because part of the reason that you know, to be skeptical about John is not just how he's going to look when he comes back. It's also, will he be able to sustain it? And that's not just, you know, is he going to have some other serious injury, you know, at some point down the line, it's, it's just, will his body be able to hold up after not being able to hold up for a long time? If it is, I mean, that's, that's remarkable that he's able to get back to that point and maybe he will. I mean, so far the returns are really good. He's missed some games here and there, but overall he's, he's been healthy this year and and that's great to see. Uh, but you know, ultimately I think this has to be graded in the long term of like, if part of your concern is how will John hold up over the course of a 72 and then 82, 82 game seasons, that's part of your concern. Then, you know, that's, that's reasonable. Then you got to wait for the long-term effect. That being said, it's not exactly like Westbrook is holding up physically so great either. So, yeah. But the one thing I want to add to about John, and I know um, we all know the impact that the, the gang sign video had on his eventual trade, but you know, there also were other factors, you know, like, <laughs> like if there hadn't been, you know, history of him not showing up, you know, to camp, you know, um, at, at, you know, in, in tip top shape, if there had n- not been him sort of getting kind of complacent and not really having that edge, um, like this, the organization was able to see that stuff happen and they could see, you know, in some ways he got a little comfortable about his status and about where he stood within the organization. And so, I think the trade in some ways kind of recharged him. Um, it gave him something to be fired up about. It gave him a new organization franchise that he had to sort of get them to love him too, you know, and start all over. And in some ways that may have been what he needed, you know, because who's to say he comes out fired up as, as fired up as he, as he has been so far through the first, you know, however many games, um, if he's not moved, he may not have had, had had the same edge, you know. And so I think that's that's something that has played an impact on his performance because um, there's no guarantee that he would have come back, you know, the first couple of months and just been like, yeah, I got something to prove. Um, he would have had to prove something else if he was with the Wizards. But now he has to prove all that stuff and <laughs> – you all messed up by trading me, you know, which will probably be a bigger motivator than just coming back from an injury. So the Nuggets played the Celtics tonight and lost. It's late Tuesday night when we're recording this. Nuggets <laughs> Nuggets played the Celtics tonight and lost. Jokic played 38 minutes. They were in Boston tonight. They're probably right now on a plane, maybe boarding a plane, maybe on the way to boarding a plane to D.C. They're in D.C. tomorrow night. If the Wizards win that game, you know they will have won 
That means they win three in a row mm-hmm. for the first time in two and a half years. Yeah. Two and a half years, Mike. Yes. And not <laughs> only that, they will be they'll be their ninth win, which will have them on pace for that nine and twenty start that the the, the great Tony Kornharzer used to always write about. Um being how the Wizards always start as their first, this is a, no matter what they are start this season nine and twenty. So nine and twenty is in play, and so. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it just says a lot about um, the Wizards just being healthy and getting all their guys back and having a full rotation of players. Um, I think it makes a big difference. You can see Russ is playing a little, looking looking a little better. Um, he's starting to feel more comfortable with his surroundings, but also he's starting to look healthier. And you saw that pull-up, chin-up dunk he had at the end of the game the other night. Um, you can tell he's he's starting to feel himself a little bit, and I think that's making a difference, you know, because it seemed like when he was first out there on the floor, he was getting his numbers, he's getting his triple-doubles, but it just didn't look right. Um, the last couple games, he's looking right. Um, Mo Wagner has been inserted into the lineup, and he's put, giving him some quality production. Um, and I think that's that's really what is happening. All the pieces are starting to come together. I don't know if this is going to be some kind of long-term run, but I think that for a team that hasn't had a lot of success, any little taste is going to be good, especially for the young guys. Um, but I think it also will just at least we haven't had any uh, negative Brad memes for a couple of days. <laughs> I'm so sick of this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The, the only Brad meme has been like him climbing under the stairs. Yes. Or him climbing yes. under the stands, which which I guess has kind of been still somehow been taken as negative Brad meme because every comment I saw after that was something along the lines of, oh, my God, he's trying to escape. Yes. 
Yes, he's trying he, to get away. Look, looking for help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask him if uh, anybody under there told him that he just wanted a frosty. <laughs> Yo, speaking of uh, Isaiah Thomas, how about him going for Team USA? I'm glad to see he's he's getting an opportunity to play somewhere and and try to work himself back. Hey, he's got, I like Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas uh, was, I don't know. I I it's cool to see a guy continue to try to fight back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, know, you just, you just hate, it just sucks to see somebody have their career end in the way it seems like his is ending. That just sucks. Like the stories like Durant and wall, which by the way, like, what what a win for modern medicine. I mean, they're maybe the two greatest Achilles injury comebacks ever. Uh, yeah. Along with Dominique. And uh I mean what a what a win for modern medicine that that maybe the Achilles is not some sort of career ending injury. Also, by the way, maybe the Achilles is just a year and a half injury and not a year injury. That's the thing. Yeah, you can't rush back because Demarcus Cousins hasn't looked the same since he came back from it. And I think it's probably because he was so determined to come back um, as soon yeah. as possible. But you look at guys now, and like Wes, Wesley Matthews was never quite as good as he was in Portland, but still a good player. Like a good, useful, helpful player who can help you win games on winning teams. And that's what he's been for years since staring at Rudy Gay. Good player. Yeah. Haven't, he, he's, he's been good for four years in San Antonio. Torres Aquiles, I think, been. four years ago. And he's a, he's consistently just been a really good spur. He has been. And I'm, I'm surprised he's still there. I'm surprised that nobody's. Well, I mean, I'm sure teams have been calling, but I'm, I'm surprised nobody's really just tried to like pluck him. Spurs are know. good. Yeah, the Spurs also don't forget the Spurs never make trades. That's true. They don't trade anybody ever. Doesn't matter. They just don't trade anyone. It's a weird thing that like we all fetishize the Spurs. Uh, as as this, I mean, obviously they've had unbelievable amount of success, and they do have a great front office. But we all fetishize the the Spurs as being so savvy, and we associate like fantastic trades and and being able to slide in and like Sam Presti stuff with savviness, you know. Mm-hmm. And the Spurs never trade with anybody ever; they just don't make trades. Well, they made a trade for they got they traded Bertans. Kawhi. Kind of sign and trade. Kawhi, 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 Kawhi yeah. Kawhi had to push him he, in the well, corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they don't voluntarily trade anyone. That's true. True. Bertans was a sign and trade. It was part of the Marky. It was part of the Marcus Morris sign and trade. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it yeah. was part of the. Uh, sorry, it was part of the Damari Carroll sign and trade, so they could sign Marcus Morris, and then Marcus Morris bounced. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's like. That's one of the few scenarios. There's not really a time where they've just made a trade because they thought it was a good trade. No, you're right. That's true. You know, that's true. It it just doesn't it doesn't happen. This is the second I did a podcast with Amick yesterday, and I ranted about Jakob Pertl for at least ten minutes. <laughs> what did you love him or? Yeah, he's the okay. most underrated defender in the league. He's 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 getting it done, man. I mean, it's, he's getting it done. Uh, I mean. You don't vote for All Star, right? 
I do not. No, um, I'm at the post now, so um, we don't involve ourselves in any of those things. Right. You guys are high and mighty. I forgot. Yes, we're above the fray. <laughs> we don't get involved in these votes. <laughs> well, um, we, we 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 write the stories. We not we don't become the story. Wow. Look at you. Well, I become the story because I had an all star vote for media. And I sent him my vote about two hours ago. Okay. Um, I did vote for Bradley Beal to start. Yeah, of course. How could you not? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't feel like that's controversial at all. I think he's no. definitely going to start. I think, yeah, it's, 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 it's without question. There's nobody else in the East that's even on his level. Nobody's playing near, near his level at, yeah. at the guard position. Yeah, I'm with you. I, Jalen Brown, I think, has been excellent this year. He was my other guard. Oh, Kyrie. Okay. Yeah, it was a games miss thing to me. Uh, Understood. Kyrie missed a bunch of games, and it's not. It's not to be clear. It's not me moralizing Kyrie taking off during the season when he missed games for personal reasons. Uh, it is kind of me moralizing Kyrie having a bail on his team because he went to a maskless party. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> yeah, that part it kind of is. Um, uh, KD missed a bunch of games too. I still voted for him, but like when you miss, I don't know. K- KD's missed games are weird and random and just part of the craziness of this year. And he's also been so great, like he, better he's than a, he's he's been the best player in the conference to me this year. Yes, he has per per minute. He's been the best player in the conference, but he's only played like nineteen of the <clears throat> Nets, however many games. But he's if he plays enough, then if he were, if he had played in like, say all but two of the Nets games instead of all but 10 of the Nets games, he, he, he could be the MVP of the league. Yeah. So I, yeah. I could not do it. And then I went with, uh, with Giannis and, and obviously Embiid who might actually be the MVP of the league right now. Embiid has been phenomenal. And the one thing that stood out to me about Embiid this year is that, you know, there's no bluffing, there's no trolling. He's just balling, like he's just going out there and performing, and it's just this, this no nonsense approach that he's taken to this season. That um, sort of just I think hints to his maturity. You know, I think he just became a father, and you can sort of get the sense that he's starting to understand the bigger picture and and realize that he can't talk himself into being a great player. He's got to go out there and perform, and then. You know, with Doc Rivers there, you know, he's he's coached in Orlando where he had Tracy McGrady. Um, he's coached in uh, Boston where he had Paul Pierce and then he got KG and, and Ray Allen. Then he went to the Clippers. He had Blake and Chris and DeAndre. He's never had a player like Joel Embiid. He's never had a post presence that can just dominate in, in, that, in that painted area. And you can tell that he's convincing Joel to like embrace his size and use that to his advantage and not just be like, okay, I'm just going to jack up threes and show I got all this versatility. Like that's fine. If that's your strength, the strength of Embiid is not his versatility. His strength is that he's strong. (laughs) His strength is that no one can stop him. If he puts his head down and says, I want to attack the basket. And that's, that's what's, been the most impressive thing from seeing that from him. You're right. I think he's right there, top five MVP, MVP candidate 
um, based on how he's been performing this year. And it's been good to watch because I've been around him for a while and I know what he's been saying. Like, I want to be this. I want to be that. I want to be this. He's like, I want to be MVP. I want to. And he always talked the game. Um, but now he's showing that he has it. And he's in shape, too. Yeah. It's all important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the humiliation of the last couple of years, the embarrassment of, um, you know, the last, especially the last year, um, that, that, that season didn't go over well with anybody in Philadelphia. Um, I think he realizes that he has a responsibility to, to, to give the people what they've been waiting for. And it, he's give, he's doing it. Are you surprised that Brad leads East guards in the fan vote? Cause he's going to you know win what? the fan vote. And just, I mean, Sometimes, like last year, I, I hit up a bunch of media members who had votes for All-NBA and kind of did a poll. And I didn't do a similar one, but just <clears> kind of discussing with friends and asking who you're voting for. It, I, I Everyone who I've spoken to is voting for Brad, so pretty pretty confident he'll, he'll get the media vote, too. Yeah, it's, it's funny because you said, are you surprised about Brad? And you could have just stopped right there. <laughs> Like, you didn't have to talk about All-Star. You didn't have to talk about anything. I am incredibly surprised about Brad and everything that he's doing this year. Because when Brad was drafted in 2012, and and I knew going into that draft that that's who the Wizards were targeting. That's who they wanted to, to play alongside John Wall. Never in my wildest dream did I think that the Wizards had drafted a guy who could be NBA leading scorer. I did not ever envision that as something that he could do. I did not see him as a 30-point scorer in the NBA. And to somebody who didn't just do it once, but to do it twice. Think about this. LeBron James is um, probably going to go down as an all-time leading scorer. He only averaged 30 once in all these seasons. He only averaged 30 once. Brad's about to average 30 for the second year in a row. And and there, there's there's different tiers to, like, being an elite scorer. And, you know, like, 20-point scorers, like, you're a really good scorer. You know, 25-point scorer, you're a great scorer. 30-point scorer, you're an elite scorer. When you get above that, like, you're, you're in that tier among the greatest of the greats. You're in that Kobe tier. You're in that, um, you know, Jordan tier. You're in that Harden tier. You're in that um, Wilt tier. Like you're like Brad's up there in terms of being of of, of scores. Now, obviously, he's not surrounded by much, so he has the opportunity to go out there and and get as many shots as he wants. But I think that's even harder, considering that that's what teams are gearing up every night to shut him down. And he's still having these monster performances. And it's just really been phenomenal to see his growth, to see how much he's worked on his game um, and see that, you know, there's not a shot that he can't take out there on the floor that he can't make. Um, His handle is, like, really sick. Like, he has an incredible handle so he can get to wherever he wants to take his shots. His step-back jumper right now, is like one of the most dangerous shots in the league. Like once you see him take that step back, like you're at his mercy. 
And for me, it's just been incredible to see that, um, to see, you know, how he totally understands like what his strengths are. Um, he's definitely taken more threes, you know, which is something that Scott Brooks had been encouraging him to do um, early on in his career. But he also can hit that mid range and like he can get to the basket. He can finish at the rim. Um, like he is like top tier great player. And um you know, at some point I gotta ask, like, what does he want out of his career? Because if he just wants to get buckets, he can do that. But if he wants to win, it ain't gonna happen in Washington. So it's gonna he's gonna have a tough decision to make. Um you know, and I, I know he's got other motivations outside of um, um, just being in Washington. There's there's financial incentives to stay that go beyond anything that we could imagine. Um, but I've just been impressed by the fact that this guy is just a bucket. And, you know, I think that people are surprised that he's leading in, in all-star voting. I'm not surprised by it because of this. The fact that he has been on such a bad team, the fact that he has become a popular meme, you know, last year he was mad Brad, this year he's been sad Brad. He's been a topic of discussion. He's been somebody that people say, well, let's, who's going to trade Bradley Bill, trade for Bradley Bill, free Bradley Bill. And so he's sort of become, he got a cult following now because every team feels like, well, we got to get Bradley Bill. Laker fans love him because they feel like we could get Bradley Bill and we would just we just dominate the whole league at that point, you know. So every team, Brooklyn wanted Bradley Bill, um, you know. Denver wants Bradley Bill. Miami wants Bradley Bill. You know, all these teams with large fan bases are all of a sudden saying they want Bradley Bill in their organization. So that's the name that resonates when it comes to guard any leading league in scoring. So it's like he hasn't gone out there and tried to market himself, he's been marketed by his performance. Um, you know, because he doesn't have, like, great endorsements. It's not like he got a shoe, you know, where he's got yeah, commercials. He's, he's on the world, the worldwide, the worldwide WOB endorsement plan. Yeah. Where he gets he, memed. And, he and, gets memed. And, and Rob and, Perez sends that stuff out. And then the basketball world just salivates. Every other he, fan base does. He, he, he's on the meme and the trade machine marketing scheme. Yeah. The meme and trade machine marketing scheme. That is, <laughs> that is the perfect one. By the way, to your point about he's averaging 33-1 a game right now. We'll see if he can keep that up for a whole season. Yeah, it, yeah it'll be uh, tough. It'll be tough. At some point, you go through a bad stretch. I mean, he has scored 24, 24 or more in every single game except for one. Which is ridiculous. And yeah. Now his he broke one, a Michael Jordan record this year. Yeah. I mean, his his one was a one for 14. But at some point, like at some point, you go through a bad stretch. Unless you're just going to have a superhuman season. Let's say he finishes with 33-1. Let's say he finishes the averages the exact same points per game the rest of the year. You know how many other players in NBA history have averaged that many? I'm going to say six. Ten. So wow. Wilt did it like a million times. Mm-hmm. Wilt doesn't count. <laughs> it's really nine because you just feel like we just shouldn't count Wilt for any record. He's in his own category. Like yeah. there's, there's 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 Wilt and then there's everybody else. Exactly. So Wilt has done it. Jordan's done it. Harden's done it. 
Rick Barry has done it. Kobe has done it. Kareem. Mm-hmm. Elgin Baylor. Bob McAdoo. Tiny Archibald. And George Gervin. Ten guys have done it. That's ten. Wow. So it's, he'll be the 11th guy ever to do it if he does this. Uh, that's, that's remarkable. I mean, those are all surefire, first ballot, you know, Hall of Fame legends. Those yes. aren't... Those are not guys that you think, oh, that th- those aren't Bernard King, you know? Yeah. This yeah. is, although that being said, Bernard King did average in the 30, Hall of Fame. and he did average 32-9 one year. But Bernard King is is not like a top shelf Hall of Famer. You know, it took him a little while yeah. to get there and, 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 you know, a great scorer, but somebody who, who went in with some people thinking that I think he's a Hall of Famer. But some people thinking that he wasn't a Hall of Famer and, and, and you know, nobody is saying, oh, is Rick Barry really a Hall of Famer? Nobody's saying, <laughs> no. hey, Michael Jordan's that guy really a Hall of Famer? Do we really think so? There's nobody who's taking that contrarian opinion. You know, I have, yeah. I have a, I'm going to call I have a theory. I'm going to call it the Damian Lillard corollary. I've been thinking mm. about this. OK. Remember a few years ago when Lillard didn't make all star. And yes. And he whined about it. And he whined. Oh, oh, did he whine? Did he whine? He did enough whining for Brad and Kamaya combined. Did, <laughs> did he whine? He, he complained about it. He was not happy about not making All-Star. And what has happened since? Damian Lillard's never Dang missed the all He's never missing the All-Star game ever again. And not no. just because he backed it up and because he's an absolutely fantastic player, but also because... The narrative for that entire next year around Lillard, the first thing anybody brought up whenever he got national attention, if he came up on first take, the first thing that Stephen A. Smith would say was, how the hell is this guy not an all-star? <laughs> and it just reminds you have this Pavlovian effect with Lillard during that ensuing season of you just associate him, you look at him and all anybody talks about is that he didn't make all-star. So you immediately associate his face with, oh, got to vote for him for all-star. Got to yes. make sure that doesn't happen again. And I think Bradley Beal has firmly fallen into the Damian Lillard corollary. I think the exact same thing happened with him, where all anybody talked about after he didn't make it last year was Bradley Beal is the first guy since blank to average blank and not make the all-star team, you know? Yeah. And... And that's all anybody said. And it gets brought up on a national TV show. And if they're not talking about a trade, what they're talking about is how did he not make the all-star team last year? What a travesty. And it's because he talked about it and other people talked about it. And now it's just a thing that everybody brings up. And so I think on top of being the league's leading scorer, on top of legitimately getting better than he was last year, and on top of the fact that the NBA's website, when you go there to vote as a fan, they they order the players in the lead in the in the order of the scoring leaders, which gives you a little bit of a bias bias to vote for the high scorers, as opposed to someone like, say, Ben Simmons or Bam Adebayo or something like that, who who yeah. might have a good all star case, but isn't a scorer. Rudy Gobert, those types. You know, on top of all that, he's got the Damian Lillard corollary working for him. So. I, I like it. I, it I think that's totally a thing that contributes. And on top of that, he deserves it. He does. That's why I voted for him. He's having, yeah. He's I having mean, a terrific year. I mean, we're talking about him 
entering the ranks. He broke a Michael Jordan record. We're talking about him entering the ranks of, you know, Jordan scoring and Harden scoring and Tiny Archibald's absurd 73 season and like Elgin Baylor. I mean, these are the names we're talking about in comparison to his season right now. And I know pace is crazy high now. I know he plays for a bad team. I know the Wizards play at the highest pace in the league, which gets him extra shots and extra possessions. I know all of these things. I, I just, it doesn't. De- I mean, I if I I care about it, but it that that just doesn't delegitimize this to me. Like this is thirty three a game is an inc- okay, fine. So he'd be averaging 30, 30 a game, thirty one a game, on good efficiency. That's tremendous. So I mean, it's it's insane. I mean, you look at the top ten scorers in the NBA. I mean, you're not gonna deny any of these guys, you know, being great. Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, Kyrie, Kevin Durant, Luca, Lillard, Embiid, Curry, and the surprise one is Zach Levine, who I'm not sure if he'll make the All Star, but he's definitely playing like one. Um, but Brad is atop all of them. <laughs> yeah, Brad has got all of them looking up to him. I would put Levine on there as a reserve, for what it's worth. I was running through it today. I would throw him yeah, on there. He, I, th- I think I think he I think he earned it, and I think that this year the NBA is so mediocre, just so much parity that I don't think that being on a bad team is a detriment to anybody anymore. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think. Because everybody's on a bad team. There are, <laughs> there, are, there are like three or four teams in the East that are above 500. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Like, uh, I, I don't think you can hold it against guys like you could in the past because there's no standout teams right now. Right. Um, right. So yeah. what am I going to do? Put somebody on the six-seeded Knicks who are sub-500 just because they're the six-seed? No. Although Julius Randle is... Julius Randle's been unfreaking believable <laughs> That game I mean, the other night, a 42-point game the other night? Yeah, 44-6, Ju- and six, right? I don't think Julius Randle is an all-star. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think he is. There are too many guys putting up numbers. But he's like in the Jeremy Grant category to me. Uh, but but he is having an, a hell of a season. Well, Jeremy Grant's having a monster year, but his team is pretty garbage. That team is going nowhere, but it's not his fault. No, he's no. been really good. He's been really good, but there there are too many guys. There are too many guys putting up numbers. I think to to include those guys. I mean, Chris uh, Chris Middleton is you know they're the five guys I mentioned. Chris Middleton is on there for sure. Nikola Vucevic is having a great year. Bam is having a great year. Um, you got you know Fred Van Vliet is going to be a contender. Uh, you run you run through the East, you got the three, you know, James Harden is there too. I mean, depending on how you want to handle the Harden situation. Jason Tatum is there. I'm just kind of naming guys from the East who are who are potentially going to be contenders there. there. There are a lot of them. There are other guys who I'm sure I didn't mention because I'm just thinking of people off the top of my head right now. But there, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of guys who are putting up numbers in the East in spite of the fact that there just aren't winning teams at all. Of course, the only five guys averaging twenty three and eleven, though. Yeah, I mean Sabonis has a case. He, I mean, he's not one of them. I mean, you got Vucevic, 
Embiid, Jokic, under the Kumpo, and Randall. It's impressive, and he's passing incredibly well. Yeah, I mean, and the Knicks, the Knicks. I mean, I mean, who knows what, how, how it all play out? But I, I think he definitely deserves consideration if he's not going to make the team. He deserves consideration for sure. I mean, there's Trey Young we didn't mention, Gordon Hayward we didn't mention. The Hawks, man, they, they they let me down. I was expecting more out of them this year. I know, me too. I thought, I mean, I thought they'd be a lot more fun. They they started out like the first two weeks of the season. I was like, oh, this is a fun Hawks team. Now I'm like, oh, this team is not fun at all. <laughs> like, I don't even want to watch them play. <laughs> we always we always overreact to the first four games. Yeah, I we I do, I do the do. same. I do the same thing. Three to seven games into the year, I do the same thing every year, which is I say, you know what? I'm not one who likes to overreact to stuff early in the year. I don't like to do it. But there is this one team that I thought would be bad, and they're five and two, and 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 they're the one that I think actually has proven something. And here's why. And 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 now they're eleven and sixteen, and. <laughs> getting blasted every night yeah just like the amount of arrogance it takes for me to say you know what i'm not one who overreacts but this small sample size reaction is actually me seeing something nobody else can yeah i I tell you what like my my first couple years covering the league i always overreact the first like four or five games until i realized you know what it's just like the first four it's just like any four game stretch of the season like sometimes you lose four in a row sometimes you win four in a row Sometimes it just matters who you're playing more than anything else. Like, don't overreact. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, any anything big to plug before we before we uh, wrap up? This was classic, by the way, where I was like, I don't want to keep you too long, and then we, we go just, for an hour. We just keep talking. Uh, any, yeah, it's anything, all good. Anything of yours you want to plug? Um, uh, I got a piece uh, running. Uh, well, I don't want to say. I can't. I can't. I can't say. Uh, I got something running uh, in the morning, uh, but I, I I cannot say what it is. Okay, well check out Mike's uh, stuff. You are <laughs> you are um, one of the best there is out there. So check out Mike's stuff over at the Washington Post. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the Athletic, just uh, you can go to theathletic.com/slash/wizards-after-dark, and you can sign up there for three ninety nine a month. It's as good sports writing as you're going to get. And you don't ever have to read my stuff. Just read all of my colleagues' stuff and everything is – it's so good. The quality of sports writing we have, the the people I work with, it's it's amazing. All you got to do if you're not a subscriber, you want to become one, you want to read that John Wall piece that I mentioned in the last episode where I spoke to John for a little over a half an hour this weekend. And he talked to me really in depth about his perspective of the trade. You can go check that out. I, I put up a second piece uh, for – uh, I should say Tuesday morning that was kind of leftover quotes where he talked about his legacy in DC, what he believes it should be, which I didn't include those quotes in the first piece just because I had, I had so much kind of leftover and those ended up on the cutting room floor and I threw them in the next day piece. So you can check that out as well over at the athletic DC. If you're not a subscriber, it's the athletic.com slash wizards after dark for three ninety nine a month on your subscription. You can subscribe to Wizards After Dark wherever you listen to podcasts. You can leave a review. You can give us five stars. The written reviews are always super helpful. You can tell your friends about Wizards After Dark because you're just a good person and you want to help out the listenership. Uh, I will be back with another episode at some point next week. 
game watching will be weird because normally I'm on the road with them on the West Coast and now they're going to be on the West Coast and I'm going to be watching games at, you know, 10 p.m. on the East Coast. So so I, I feel like I'm not going to do any recordings post game or anything like that because it'll be too late, but I will do episodes. So I'll be back next week and I'll talk to you guys then. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.